You are listening to Master's Decoded podcast series. I'm your host and the chief decoder, Anis Merchant. Through this podcast, I bring in guests who are successful in a different walk of life to decode and map out their careers and journeys with the hope that we gain all our learnings. The world around us is changing exponentially and how the impact of artificial intelligence technology and other socio-economic factors have either influenced or enhanced my guest careers. In today's episode, I invite Saket Sethi. Saket, an architect, designer, a TV host and had a career of modeling too. Saket Sethi is currently the founder and principal of Archaeologics in Mumbai and Barcelona, a collective of avant-garde designers redefining contextual future living from a historical perspective for an international audience. He's the only Indian architect who has hosted two TV shows simultaneously, disseminating the latest Indian design with NDTV Good Times, Lux Interiors, and a celebrity design chat show with a makeover for Fox Lives, Design HQ Season 2. Saket has a Bachelor of Architecture from Woodbury University, Los Angeles, studied digital design at UC Berkeley and in interior design at NYU. During the episode, I have realized that Saket is more than an architect. To find out more, and without much further ado, let me get on with it. Hi Saket, welcome to Masters Decoded podcast series. Thanks for taking time out. Thank you, thank you for having me here. Saket, a model, uh, an anchor, an architect, and a host, uh, for certain shows on NDTV Good Times. Uh, different careers, different careers uh, intertwined in what you do. Uh, you want to share a little bit about that, what your background is and how all these intertwine? Okay. Well, essentially, I'm an architect. Okay. And I've always wanted to be an architect. So there's been no, there's been no doubt in that area. But I think the path and the process to getting to be a practicing architect has kind of led me into many different things and I organically went towards whatever happened. I won't say that there wasn't a desire to go outside and expand the umbrella of what you think an architect can do. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's been the way that uh, I would have liked it to be without knowing how to get to it. I, I got to experience those things. Very interesting. And you also did your undergrad in the U.S. Um, and was that part of the architect journey which you wanted to take, like go and get education specifically in the area? I think, um, again, that was organic. So I was uh, studying architecture in a program here in okay. Mumbai. Okay. And I think after the second year, I just uh, started to get these pangs that I was missing out on something and I needed a completely different experience. And I think when you're doing an undergrad experience, say in the U.S., you know, you you are in a different city, you're in a different environment, you know, the experimental think tank around you is completely different. Usually when you're here, you're just focused on your program and you don't study a city or you don't study people or you don't study uh, the environment. You don't get this, um, let's say, more all-rounded educational Mm-hmm. perspective so you know you don't study psychology or you don't study the arts uh, as one would so I also had this uh, visual imagery always in my head I don't know where it came from 
uh, you know, palm trees and brick piers and mm. and these avenues and this LA and California and I'd never been out of the country actually. I'd never even been out of the country on a holiday. And I think okay. the first time that I left India was uh, to to go study in in LA. I just gave up everything and I, I went for it. So um, I think it's a combination of somewhere having some instinct or intuition about the fact that I, I wanted a particular kind of learning experience and mm-hmm. somewhere the reality that the learning experience I was in right now wasn't what I wanted for five years of my life. Okay. So that's how I went to the US. And as, you know, as an architect, uh, you know, typically that word architect has evolved many in many years now and today mm-hmm. you know there are architect is not just looked upon as somebody who will remodel your house or do your new house or any of that there are much more grander uh, you know sculptures or you know i would say structures being put together by many greats uh, so what's your style of architecture or when you like you spoke about design and art and you know the psychology behind what's being done what's your taste or what's your specific which differentiates you as compared to everyone else i think uh, when i started my practice i had this very clear goal that for 10 years i was just going to experiment Okay. I was going to try my hand at different kinds of projects and different scales of projects. If you see in my portfolio, I have, you know, a master plan, which is a 22-acre master plan and, and uh, a science and technology campus. I also have an office for Salman and I have a home for Ravina. Mm-hmm. And the styles of the projects are completely different. The response and the context and the delivery is different. The typology is different. Uh, and i think that when you when you start your career you have each architect has these choices and these uh, directional ideas about what kind of career they want to build based on what interests them and mm-hmm. for me i i think everything interested me so i uh, wanted to do residential i also wanted to do an office i also wanted to build a home i also wanted to design a little mini city and um, all of those came together i wanted to work with with furniture and i wanted to work abroad so i think the first 10 years just went to understanding the craft and understanding what kind of a skill set and abilities i had because sometimes you know you're very ambitious and you want to do things and you're not really prepared or uh, appropriate for it you know Mm-hmm. and um, so gathering that experience and when the 10 years were over i asked myself what i wanted at that point and there were two things i think that became clear one is that i wanted to go abroad and do things in a work scenario abroad rather than just go visit or uh, you know go to design shows and go to design events and, and just be part of that but really kind of get down and dirty and build something or uh, do a project or a renovation and so that happened when i when i set up in barcelona and so i was in barcelona for about 3 years mm-hmm. uh, shuttling back and forth and the other thing that i really was very uh, interested in doing which i got to do was to start doing design tv and that idea yep. really was disseminating and discussing design 
and you know sharing my excitement about design and interiors and architecture with other people mm-hmm. and it it happened at the right time because uh, you know at that time shows were being created and i was being talked to for that and, and it worked out and so i think you get a chance to to for each architect to put together this blueprint literally about what kind of architect you want to be in the future mm-hmm. and then you maybe set out some key milestones and as you're working towards them you start to evolve and so i think for me what i realized as an architect is that i'm um definitely somebody who brings a sense of adventure in the work like you won't see this standard formula in my work yeah. maybe you won't even be able to recognize my work but i've developed that work specifically for a context mm-hmm. specifically for a particular client and after this design journey of about 15 years i've realized that what i'm most interested in what i love the most and what kind of architect i am is definitely someone who is putting sustainability and green and high tech uh, with with classic things together so mm-hmm. the new work that i've been developing the last 4 years is um oriented towards sustainability we built the largest uh, private residential green roof in india mm-hmm. and that's a project that i've been super excited about and you know we can talk more about that at length in another question set i guess but i am somebody who is interested in the classics i'm interested in the future i'm interested in juxtaposition and context and and storytelling and i'm interested in many things that that exist in the world that i'd like to put together when i feel like a client hires me and allows me the ability to pick from that field mm-hmm. and then whatever's created is created so i really don't think about it like i have a style or a formula or I'm a particular kind of architect I don't even think of myself as an architect I, I think in a broad space as a designer I think about furniture and objects and spoons and forks and cars and houses and so I think um that's the kind of architect slash designer that that I am very interesting So let's talk about the greenhouse project uh, and then we'll uh, since you bought that out I think uh, you know greenhouse in India as a concept is fairly less spoken about largely they do yeah. exist uh, but you know so yeah if you can share a little bit more insights I think that would be great So I think particularly in covid you know I I noticed that when the the lockdown happened initially you know that was just such a such a um incessant amount of chatter about uh, you know sustainability and everybody's on sustainability and mm-hmm. got to go green and and such a reaction to the problem and yeah. i think when you are uh, let's say an architect who's interested in the future whether you like to uh, say it about yourself or you don't you are interested in being some sense of a visionary or or having a vision of the future and 4 years ago when i when i like i said i started you know when i started the 5 year plan about you know getting involved in design tv and working abroad mm-hmm. i really felt that there was going to be a time that you know the way that we live and the way that that we eat our food and the way that we we react with the environment is going to change mm-hmm. and you know as an architect you really do observe and look at 
the cities that you live in, like the city that we live in, as much as we uh, want to extol the virtues of how well we've done and you know how much economic progress we've made, the quality of life that we offer inhabitants is fairly low. It's mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. So I think you 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 ask yourself what can you do about it, and what you can do about it is that maybe there's that one project and one client where you have a demonstrational vehicle about your vision of the future. So my vision of the future is definitely green, and it's also classic. There are bits and pieces that I pick up. So mm-hmm. in this particular house, we studied uh, you know the initial uh, courtyard planning of a house that dated back to like. You know, 2000 years you know so there is an aspect of looking at indian architecture and philosophy in in not such a traditional way mm-hmm. but only where is it's necessary to tell the story of this project and this client so okay. i started working on this project and uh, you know, we wanted to do things a bit differently and it came out of the context so in the context on farmland mm-hmm. you're not allowed to build a concrete roof yep. and you're supposed to build a "Quote unquote temporary roof." Yeah. And so this temporary roof was uh, had to be metal. You know, mm-hmm. has to, had to be disassemblable. And so it it ended up being aluminum, and aluminum is waterproof. And then you know you can generate these green solutions. Yeah. And then the issue becomes that all right, if you're going to take a risk and you're going to 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 build this and you want it to last, then what are the criteria that you need to apply to it? So the criteria you need to apply is that okay, maybe. Uh, you know, if it's flat and it collects, uh, you know, it ponds and it collects rainwater because there's yeah. some deflection in the aluminum, then maybe a roof won't last. So you you take some time and you decide to maybe you know do a sloping roof. But then when you're doing a sloping green roof, you're worried that your greenery will just slough off the roof and fall off in a monsoon. Like mm-hmm. you know, monsoons are very severe. So this began uh, four years ago where I started to think about the kind of houses I want to build. And, and I realized that when I got to that point, I, I was just super excited. And I was like, oh, this is it. You know, this is the aha moment for me. This is what all my work has led to. Uh, and so I started to design this and I had a client who gave me a free hand. And she, when she came into the picture and she's really kind of inspired my my work in so many other ways and, and my life in so many other ways. And she just said to me, I've come back from Holland and I, I see flowers everywhere and I see green everywhere. Wow. And so we we decided that we were just going to do green everywhere. Mm. That's the initial concept of that. But somehow it it uh, coincided, you know, as you say, magically coincided with this idea of doing work that was a little bit more responsible. And mm-hmm. so... Like I said, when everybody started to murmur and make these noises about sustainability, you know, we've got to get sustainable and we've got to do this. I had already built the house and mm. and I got to speak about it in Italy in Design Week uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, Tesla invited me, Tesla Motors invited me to speak about the project. And so I think uh, this kind of work is essentially what I'm going to be pushing moving forward. Mm-hmm. It is going to be a mix of the classics and the future, and it's going to have a sustainable or green component. I am engaging uh, a lot of experimentation using 3D printing for houses and to use solar and to uh, you know generate our own food. Let's say you've got a roof surface that can generate its own food because you've taken away wow. that 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 surface from the ground. 
and you know maybe being able to recycle your water more cleverly and and lower the temperature of your house because green roofs are essentially fantastic at that mm-hmm. and that was the key realization that i got when um i went to to milan to speak at the polytechnico mm-hmm. the focus on the discussion was on how we just lowered the temperature of the house by four or five degrees in summer so you you know if you didn't have an ac or you, you just had a fan it was enough for you to to have a very pleasant environment in the house and i think it sounds like a very small thing yeah but imagine that if you have let's say a few hundred million houses that are lowering their temperature by a few degrees naturally mm-hmm. imagine the load off the electrical system so so like i said i think it's um this house is uh, a symbol of the kind of work that i believe in and want to do and i think also a symbol of the work that is really pertinent pertinent and relevant to our time now mm. So calling you an architect is actually a criminal offense. You are almost like a space designer which brings in different aspects, sustainability being a big one and then also bringing in bringing in experience. Because if I look at some of your designs, uh, whether it's private houses, it's master master plans, buildings, some of the interiors you've done as well as you've also designed some furniture. So it's not just you're not just the profession may be an architect but calling you an architect is actually not right uh, at least that's what i you know you know i stand corrected uh, in a many ways uh, so yeah i think that's fair i mean I, i if you see that i don't really there are a lot of people that push architect um, after the the last name you know when yeah. they when they have a calling card or they have yeah. uh, any communication But that's not really important to me. I I remember something that one of my professors said to me when I was studying. Mm-hmm. And I was when I was studying it was particularly difficult for me because I didn't have a lot of resources and I was working and I worked at the cafeteria and I, I was giving tuitions in English and I wasn't sleeping enough and I was really frustrated with the program because mm-hmm. I just felt like my learning was had to happen this very linear way and I had this very kind professor and i remember he came and told me one day i was having this really frustrating day and he just said remember that it's not about architecture it's about creative problem solving you know you will get the skills you need to solve any problem anywhere in the world and it will be done in a creative sense that's different from everybody else and it really stuck with me mm-hmm. and i won't say that it's something i think about actively when i'm designing but somewhere in the back of my mind stored in some brain cell somewhere is this this idea that you know you don't have to be restricted to that you don't have to be restricted to this idea there will be a problem that will come up that a client will bring to you and then you just creatively problem solve it and in that case it's if it's a house and you want to call it architecture you can and if it's a chair that you're sitting on and you want to call it like a yeah. furniture designer then that's what you do but i don't i don't really think this is important right now i think what is really important is design and good yep. design and design that really kind of helps people move forward whether it is sustainably or just emotionally or visually or physically mm-hmm. uh, whatever that is i think that um i would then like to be seen as a designer and i think my practice moving into europe has been focused on quote unquote being a designer rather than being an architect very interesting so why barcelona of all the places in europe um the barcelona story is actually very strange because um 
I have I, I maybe I think I had a past life connection with Barcelona. Okay. Um, I I think. Uh, you know it's one of those crazy serendipity meets instinct meets you know uh, destiny or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it i think so each individual i think has some manifest destiny and i think has some markers about what they're supposed to do in life mm-hmm. and uh, for me i remember there was a particular moment where i was watching my first spanish film which was all about my mother mm-hmm. uh, by pedro moldovar and there's a very particular scene and i mean this is a little bit of a long story but i think this is something i'm i'm happy to share because most people don't know this about me and i think this this could help people someday so there's a scene in the movie and uh, where penelope cruz is um it's her last scene because she's going to die in the next scene and she uh has to go see her parents and she can't tell them that she's dying but she you know she just wants to say goodbye to them and so she goes and says goodbye to her mother and then she goes to say goodbye to her father and the scene is that she's in this black car and she's uh, sitting with her friend and she's very emotional and the car pulls up into a plaza and uh, she pulls the window down and she whistles and there's this dog that comes running to her and plodding behind comes the father hmm. and um, you know she she looks at the dad and the dad looks at her and he says how old are you you know in spanish and and she says uh, 28 papa like um, you know in in, in spanish and uh, he doesn't recognize her because he's got alzheimers and that's the scene and it's filmed this plaza and this this and so this is the last time she sees her father in the next scene she dies the scene just just got stuck with me. the scene hmm. the environment you know the the, the street and it's uh, it was filmed in a place called Plaza Medinaceli. Hmm. And Plaza Medinaceli is um you know so on the waterfront it's a fairly quaint uh, square in in Barcelona. Hmm. So anyways I remember this scene and I watched the movie and I called my mom and that time I was in LA and I called my mom in uh, Mumbai and I told her you know this is a great movie you must watch it and uh, it, it was a movie that made me had a, a deep and profound respect for single parents because my mother is a single parent so I said you know you really need to watch this movie and I don't know why but I think someday I'm going to go to Spain hmm. and so you know I watched it it was very powerful it stayed with me for a couple of months and then it just disappeared out of my system cut to I've finished my education I've come back to India I've you know started doing my practice and I'm I'm happy and this uh, germinal idea again is is you know kind of left dormant and mm. nothing is happening with it and so i think when i started to think about traveling and started to think about setting up base abroad it it still wasn't an idea until i um, went to to i was traveling into london and paris for work for a client and then i decided to take uh, a trip to barcelona my first trip to barcelona I had a, a friend a coworker who was living in Barcelona. Okay. And I remember one of the first things that I did was just, you know, and I do this as a habit even when I uh, went to to Italy for the first time and I went to the Biennale for the first time. I do this thing at night or, you know, even in the day or early morning where I just walk the city randomly. It's mm-hmm. just a way to get to know the city. And I remember walking in the city and going to that that same spot 
and having this complete sense of um, everything making sense. Mm-hmm. and realizing that this is a moment that kind of aligns with that moment and that i'm supposed to be here so that was the first indication a very powerful indication that okay maybe you know you're supposed to be here mm-hmm. and so i started coming and then i think the dots just started to connect themselves you know i got permission from the government i became a resident i started working there i set up a practice and okay. we did these two wonderful projects there so I think uh, Barcelona is a great example of you know what you're trying to do at a personal level in your own life mm-hmm. matching with what you're trying to do uh on a professional level. And mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes we we get these little signs, you know, and we don't take them seriously and they pop up in culture and music and movies. Mm. and then they they leave you with a message or a lesson for the future and hopefully you're paying attention. and i think that was something that i really did pay attention to so okay that led to many other things and and the story continues and in telling the story and in the further continuity of the story i forgot completely okay. to mention why the scene from that movie is so significant exactly uh because as i said the scene was filmed in a place called plaza medinaceli and plaza medinaceli was the first place i really went to in Barcelona and had that epiphany that I was supposed to be here but the story really mm. didn't end there because in 2018 I became member of Soho okay. House Barcelona and Soho House Barcelona is on Plaza Medinaceli in fact I think you can see the Soho House Barcelona building in the scene mm. of that movie in 2000 so there was a time where I would walk every day to Soho House from my uh, apartment and i would have my meetings at soho house and i would be constantly struck by that feeling uh that extremely powerful feeling okay. of maybe synchro destiny knowing that some part of this is what was intended for you and the rest was to recognize and act on it sure so let's rewind a little bit back uh and you said in the start when i asked you the first question you said you always wanted to be an architect yeah uh what what during the childhood what got you so excited about architecture and design and all of that so i have uh, i'm an extremely visual person i don't know how i'm built like that but okay. yeah, i think since i even when i was a child i, I think everything was visual so i i won't say a photographic memory mm-hmm. but i have a very keen sense of visuals that that stay with me for very very long okay and so I think one of my earliest memories my one of my happiest memories is um you know playing um, and drawing with my grandfather and my grandfather was just a uh, very particular and interesting man mm-hmm. he used to uh, listen to the BBC all the time and you know he would have us to whiskies every evening and um, loved aviation so you know he loved to draw and he had this very bad hand at drawing but Mm-hmm. it was something that we just did together so when he was having his whiskies you know we would talk about uh, aviation and we would make these little drawings of planes and you know it was just something that uh, grandfather and grandson shared so i have that as one of my key memories wow and then on um, on sundays in those days i don't know if you remember but the the trident was called the oberoi mm-hmm. and they used to have uh, two restaurants 
and yeah. um, one of them was called Samarkand. Okay. And Samarkand used to have these Sunday lunches okay. where the families would go and sit on one table and the children would go and sit on another table. <laughs> yes. And they had these coloring mats. Yeah. Okay, so they were like... No, no, I remember that. Coloring yeah. mats. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember that this used to be kind of a Sunday ritual. And okay. uh, I, I used to draw, you mm-hmm. know, in those, those lunches. And um, I think one day he just came to me when I was drawing. He said, you know, because I used to keep drawing planes. And he's like, aren't you tired of drawing planes? Why don't you draw an airport? You know, and you draw more. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it was something very strange that he said. He said, you know, I want you to draw me an airport. And, and you know, because uh, I, I want to keep that. And someday I think that I'll show you this airport in the future. Something very bizarre and random which i can't remember exactly okay so i sat on drawing this airport and i remember taking that sheet home like it you know usually you just leave that sheet there yep. and so i started doing something and i and i remember uh there was a there was a there was a plane i was drawing of klm taking off mm-hmm. and there were i think one or two other planes i can't remember and then i built a little bit of that airport and i remember that there were there was kind of these two three sharp lines on top which was what must have been the tower okay and so you had been to the airport to visualize that or was it a complete no no no. i I think i think it was just from photos and it was just stuff that you were picking up from the environment it was just of interest okay interesting but i remember that i was making this drawing and um he looked at the drawing and he said that the the structure has more detail than the plane and i think that was the first thing that and the first and the most important thing that I remember is that an indication that I was going to be an architect. I don't know. I, I can't say, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, subconsciously and consciously, I think it's something I remember. So it must have some meaning. Hmm. And, um, you know, he before he died, he kept saying to me that his big regret was that he couldn't find that. Because by that time, I was already an architect. And he yeah. said, you know, it was proof that that this is what you were meant to do. So I think that story, uh, let's say, give or take thirty percent of detail, which is I think dissolved in time, is uh, I think the first point where I knew that that's what it is. And then I think, of course, over time, mm-hmm. I was just very interested in being creative and and doing things that that were creative. Really? And I think once you have a sense of hey, if you do things creatively and uh, you know you do it with the spaces that you live in, then you're you're called an architect. You don't necessarily know that that's your name or that's what you want to do. But I think since that age group of 11 to 13, I I had an idea that this is something that I want to be part of. I think, you know, a lot of times people say, this is what you want to be. I don't know if I wanted to be that. I just knew that that's something that I want to be part of. And, And so today I am. Sure. And... You know, when I look at your career, uh, you started off working for someone and then you started your own company. You were a co-CEO for some company for some time. Right. And then you left that or you probably moved out to work for someone else. Um, and in between, you were also had some modeling stints. But you started back your own company. So how has that been? Being a CEO, then working for someone else and then having your own company back on right i think uh 
for me, it's never really. I, I think if you talk to some people, they're very clear that they they can't work for other people, and some mm-hmm. people love to work for other people. Yep. And although now, of course, I'll change my mind and say that no, I can't work for anyone. Okay. But at the time um, when I was studying, I was just so excited by everything that was happening that I really didn't care whether I was working for someone or I was working for myself. Okay. And. Uh, I think the particular time you're talking about being a course year was when I was in San Francisco and I you know I yeah. finished studying and uh when I finished studying I had an opportunity to go back into school and okay. to do my masters and this was a tricky one because you know when you study architecture for 5 years uh-huh. you're like oh god do I really want to go and study another 2 years you know <laughs> and do a masters because yeah. it's I think it's time to get out yeah and so I started evaluating whether it was something that I wanted for myself and while i was evaluating it the only bright spark was that there was a particular thesis that i wanted to work on which was kind of this modeling of information in real time so you know imagining that houses could be designed in real time like you know you're in the house and you're moving things around with your fingers and wow. and so i was writing this thesis for study at usc okay and i happened to show it to my uncle okay and my uncle saw it and he was like oh this is brilliant you know you can do this with information and if you can do this with information it can affect how people process information visually and let's get this idea patented and funded so we we had it patented and got funded and we raised money for it wow and that's how it became a co-ceo in that company and it was fantastic we went to comdex you know in vegas and uh, mm-hmm. were were under the intel brand and showed this this working uh, model of how you would process information visually and then of course the dot dot com bust happened and yeah. you know this was an adventure that i went on because i believed in the thesis project that i was creating and it just became commercial mm-hmm. so i allowed it to be like that and i went with it as far as i could and when the dot com crash happened i was like all right this is this is the sign that that's the end of that and you just kind of get on with what's next so like i said i never really looked at it from the point of view that i'm a ceo or i'm a leader or i'm a worker bee or i'm a manager mm-hmm. i just went for what excited me about what the project was and if that capacity was to to be a manager or to be a ceo or to be an employee then that's what i had to do mm. and i think the context has always been really important for me like now i know that whatever i'm designing i've got to lead so therefore i must lead and and, and i'm enjoying that so when i came back to india was was a place where i was obviously starting from scratch mm-hmm. and the first thing that you do when you come here is that you know you you look for a job and you start to gain experience yep. and uh, i started my first job uh just like anybody starts their first job and i as remember uh, i went to to meet the 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 head of the firm and i told him i said look monday to friday i'll work my ass off for you day and night but saturdays and sundays i will not come in so okay. don't ask me to come in on a saturday saturday and sunday okay and um it was it was because i, I think by that time it had already started but um uh, i had a friend who shot some pictures and sent it in uh to i think it was a production agency and i got my first gig i think my first gig very first gig was for nescafe mm-hmm. and it was like a tvc it was shot in alibag so this rhythm started where monday to friday i was in the office completely involved in design stuff 
and then Saturdays and Sundays, one way or the other, I was either going for meetings or I was traveling. Some of the the more extreme ones were uh, when I signed John Players at that time. It was a really big brand, mm-hmm. and we did all the shoots in South Africa. So we had to fly to Cape Town, and I was flying to Cape Town on like a Thursday night, wow. and you know, calling in sick on <laughs> Friday, and <laughs> then coming back to the office on Monday and Tuesday like nothing had happened. And so it was a strange, uh, but but highly enjoyable and and very memorable uh, experience to have. But it was very focused. Like I knew that I don't want to get out of this this design business that I'm in. And I like the freedom, and I like the travel, and I like the stepping out of this um, life where you you know when you dress up and you you pose and you kind of project something but you just do it for that moment yeah. and it's an experience and then you leave it yeah. so the modeling bit just uh, for four years it continued it was quite good in the sense that compared to most people I wasn't I wasn't looking at that as um, the source of my income and I wasn't looking at it as uh, something that as you know I'm going to now become an actor or a okay. TV star and although I did get some offers it just was nothing that I wanted to do mm. I was pretty clear that I, I I I don't want and I don't I'm not seeking the adoration of a public and I'm not an entertainer by heart I'm a fairly private person but I do enjoy this this idea of experience and travel and projection okay and so as long as it works so it worked for about four years when I was working in a job and I was doing things on the side and then I think John Players was my last a campaign because I was signed with them for a year mm-hmm. and then they renewed the contract for another year and when the contract was over I just took it as a sign and I was like okay it's time to get out Okay. and then uh, I started Archaeologics and so that was that was the story of, of how those were running in parallel till I started the practice very interesting you spoke about few things which have really sparked interest in me because uh Ironically, I'm doing a design thinking course as we speak. Yeah. And you spoke about design thinking. You spoke about the 3D printing uh, piece uh, where you use a lot of 3D printing. And you spoke about your patent in your earlier years where you had this real time. So how is technology in many ways and the concept of design thinking and design, what you actually do, all interplay? How do you use all of these three together? You know, I, I've had this argument with so many people because um, I think prior to COVID, everybody used to feel in the design profession that, you know, working with hand and sketching and, and mm-hmm. you know, basically keeping a less technological approach somehow brings you to a greater level of authenticity in your design craft, you know, that you're yeah. moving away from this, you're moving into machine made and you're moving into technology and and so somehow, you know, you're obliterating the craft and you're obliterating this idea of history that, you know, we have with, with the way that we used to create things. But I think that if you've seen since the start of time when, when design even originated because of the Industrial Revolution, there was always this idea of hand plus, you know. Yep. It was always the hand and some sense of machining that, that continued and that's always been part of us and every industry and mm-hmm. even the design industry. Mm-hmm. So I think it's inevitable that that technology is um, going to to make a bigger play every time with the design process with uh, designers. Mm-hmm. And I just 
I I've embraced it. I think for me, uh, using your hands is the same as uh, using you know a, a, a line in on on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a craft at the end of the day, and it's a tool. It's in your hands, and I think technology. Let's put it this way: is inevitable. Like for example. the time that we're living in if you didn't want to be social or you didn't want to be on social media mm-hmm. uh pre covid it may have been okay now you know that it's impossible yeah you know and i think that many of the activities we carry forward on a daily basis are all carried forward on technology for example this conversation yeah so i just feel like in the industry you can't turn around and say that i i you know i don't like technology so i'm going to ignore it i think that's just putting your head in the sand and pretending like this this is just going to be okay so i think technology is key uh, and i'm i mean for me the last couple of months i spent digitizing my office so a lot of the paper assets were scanned away and uploaded to a cloud which is something i've never wow. done okay and i've destroyed most of my paper files i've thrown away things because i don't need it Yeah and I think there's a cleverer way where I can search for that data visually online really quickly there's no way I'm going to be able to look through 15 16 years of paperwork you know mm-hmm. and you don't want to destroy it so I think there is some good that comes out of it a lot of my uh, drawing work and design work is now on an iPad I don't have any paper I'm trying not to print any paper nice. and I'm, I I have digital diaries of my sketches and design ideas so they're all always uploaded in the cloud and and this is this stuff is coming with its own problems of course but yep. so does paper and so does you know the traditional craft so i think you just you just have to choose but i feel like whether you choose or not predominantly the direction is that you're going to have to be prepared for uh, a very highly technological future okay so you're a big pet lover i can hear that uh so apart from pets uh what other interest you have uh, apart from design um no that, that's not... a really hard question <laughs> okay um no no i i'm kidding i i think uh, i have a lot of interest i just i think life is very interesting travel okay. is interesting the arts are interesting i think if you look at design as a sort of nucleus and yeah. there are all these little spokes uh, coming out of it it's all aspects of life really i think people are interesting mm-hmm. and so on and so forth i think i'm just fundamentally curious about everything mm-hmm. and then there is whatever i'm most curious about is where i see an application of myself most intensely and so that could be let's say fitness for example okay so if if i'm interested in fitness then i'm most curiously and most passionately involved in that so i think any aspect that just speaks to me i guess very interesting saket now talking about you but do you have somebody to look up to in from a design or from an architecture perspective like whom you either draw inspiration or whom you consult if the person is living and you know engage like like a mentor mm. um i think there's let's say i should give sort of a spotlight to a couple of people i think whether uh, they've had to do with building who i am personally or just career inspiration i think on on the career inspiration level 
I think Zaha Hadid is probably the most powerful career inspiration. And I think not because of the projects that she put up, but I think from a personal point of view, because you know when I when I started my career and when I started studying, I I struggled a lot. So when I was modeling, you know, it was uh, a chance for people to say that, you know, he's why are you giving a model work, you know, for mm-hmm. example. And when I did a good job or a good project, it was like, okay, it's a fluke, and mm-hmm. you know, this fluking of projects year after year just continued. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, I think that you you know what it's like to face resistance from mm-hmm. stupidity. And from um, quarters where the thinking is irrational, mm-hmm. and I think for me she's probably a symbol of that. She faced a lot of stupidity and uh, irrationality in the design profession. I think because she was a minority, uh, she wasn't very pretty. Uh, she was she she didn't cut a very svelte figure. Um, she obviously was a woman, you know, in in this profession. You're a minority, and then Iraqi. And then going into London and being offered by one of the the greatest architects to to partner and saying no, you know, I don't want to partner with you. I want to have my own. And then struggling for twenty years of paper projects, twenty years wow. of uh, you know just being pushed down and being told that the work isn't you know as relevant. And then I think the third project she did in that span of twenty years just exploded. And I think before her death, she was you know. Uh, pushing a yearly income of a maybe a few hundred million uh, pounds, and with one of the largest design offices in London. So I think that story of the person is extremely inspirational. Of course, the work is incredible too, and what she was trying to do with the work nobody had ever done. Okay. So I think that connection between person and work, uh, quite incredible. So that's inspiration for me at the design level. On a personal level, I think the family's always been. Very inspirational in their own ways because um, my my family uh, will do, and my family people in many ways have always done very average things in an extremely unaverage manner, mm-hmm. and I think that sticks with you. I think in terms of um, mentors, living mentors, I think my current client is a living mentor, and um, I I really I'm not very easily impressed with people. Let's put it this way. Okay. Um, I think that when people get successful and they have money, they uh, their behavior changes. There is a sense of uh, extra confidence. There is a sense of extra superiority. There is a sense of that since I'm making so much money and I'm able to have more freedom to do things that maybe you don't, that I know more than you, mm-hmm. and that I'm cleverer than you and smarter than you. And uh, so when I met this client, she had all these resources, and they just seemed to exist parallelly to her. You know, she really seemed to be the master of these resources and not vice versa. Like, wow. you know, you if if I would see her step out and she would be dressed very averagely, but she would be in a very fancy car, or there was there was never this sense that. I am fettered by this idea of materiality, and 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 so I think that's super inspirational. She's a mentor because I think she's allowed me to build this kind of project without even questioning me once, and just mm. you know a lot of the design discussions went literally like looking at each other, like this is what I want to do. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead, and you know it was it was literally like that. Okay. So I I I think for me I really aspire to a place that when you 
are really successful in whatever aspect that you are successful that the world deems you to be successful so mm. whether it's fame or uh, money and material gain uh, and you are somebody who hasn't used that to change who you are just to to prove even more to people that you are different and better than them okay then i think it's extreme because i think if you can be comfortable with yourself having more or less of anything then i think there's something truly exceptional about you and i think the final quality with with her is you know she's always beaming and she's always happy and i'm like where is this coming from you know um <laughs> I I know a lot of people with money who are quite unhappy you know yep. with their lives and and it's strange right you would think that mm-hmm. the more successful you are the happier you would be no it is inverse actually so 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 yeah so I think it's these three levels of inspirations I think there's uh the the professional inspiration of Zaha Hadid then then the you know personal examples of average things done fantastically in the mm-hmm. family and then this aspirational beatific uh future forward completely non-material but present and working with materialism um, kind of example and the client of mine so you are drawing inspiration but let's say somebody has to draw inspiration from you and there are a lot of as aspiring architects right now either pursuing education or coming into the market and trying to look out for a job what would you recommend to them i this is this is something i get asked a lot sometimes i do these instagram q and a's or you know sure. sometimes people just write write to me and ask me this question in fact i just uh, took on um, a new a new intern mm-hmm. and i was looking at the work and i was giving her some feedback and i think the, the key before you even get to what is the feedback on a project or you know what you're doing currently is really to ask yourself the big question you know do you do you really love design and and architecture and you know do you really want to be part of this profession because it's not an easy profession yeah i mean it takes you about half your life to figure out what you what you've had to learn mm-hmm. whether it is from a, a creative aspect or a technical aspect or or just a sociological or psychological aspect that you can then take back as a solution for a client so you really got to be serious about whether it's something you see your life being enmeshed with and i think when you're um when you're an architect i think it really does take over a lot of your life so i think you want to ask yourself whether that's you or not and if you are if you are somebody who wants to use it as a job then that's fine too but you need to be clear in the beginning that is this something that is just a job for me or is this a way of life so there are those two different directions Yeah and then I think um when you you get into the market I think of course everybody wants to be famous and wants to be successful and thinks that they have the best design skills and you know there's nobody better than them and you know that's not true uh so I think the 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 advice that I give a lot of people is that just learn just have fun with it and take every intensity and challenge as part of the process of evolving as an architect as a designer it doesn't need to be so um black and white that you know you you will do this and you will do this and then you will get there and um so i always advise them also to just go slow because i think sometimes people are in a hurry you know they want to let's say they've got two years or three years of experience and like, i just want to start on my own you know 
mm-hmm. and I want to have my own name. And and I I always counsel them and tell them that it's not so glamorous and it's not so important to have your own name. I mean, you can have yeah. your own name by working with a group of great people. Mm-hmm. And in any ways, if you see the future is really hinging on collaboration and the 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 time and idea of superstars is really in question. I think what's in question is really great work and you want to be seen, I think, with a great group of people, whether they are people who are drafting your designs or uh, visualizing your modeling or people who are executing your projects. I don't, I don't think it really matters. Okay. So this very linear perception that people have that, you know, I'm going to get into the design industry and then I'm just going to become this architect. And I, and I think also in our industry, we, we see that the nexus between uh, media and PR and, you know, working and networking is designed to make people believe that, that mm-hmm. that's the culture, you know. So so my my belief is, is, is contra. And so I just tell students that it's just such a great privilege to be working in this if you're really excited about it, even for me today. After all these years, and I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to go design. I'm excited to go sketch. Yeah. So I think if you just keep that in mind, I think you're good. Okay. So on that note, I think, Saket, this has been wonderful. And I'm sure the people who will be listening to the show, there's a lot to learn and gain. And uh, so thank you for taking time out from your busy design schedule. Uh, I'm sure the creative juices will flow more. Um, and I look forward to more peculiar designs which you do because it's interesting and I would highly recommend people to go on your website on your company's website and look at some of this uh, breathtaking designs which you have come up with thank you so much Anish thank you Uh, have a good day and stay safe thank you bye 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 thank you for listening in and we close yet another episode of Masters Decoded If you've enjoyed the episode, please, you can help us out by sharing it on social media. I would personally appreciate that. It's how we can reach more listeners, and the more listeners we have, the more awesome guests I can get in touch and convince to participate in these conversations. That are a joy to have for me, and I hope they are a joy for you to listen as well. You can also help a lot, leaving reviews on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. Reviews are surprisingly helpful in supporting the podcast to get to more listeners. If this episode has intrigued you, I would request you to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date and get notified to the future episodes. With that, I bid you and see you in the next episode.